welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. In this series, we discover that God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Based in 2 Peter 1, we will explore God's invitation to participate in His divine nature in ways that we can cultivate a fullness of life. Here's today's message. Let me add my welcome to all of you to Central Baptist Church. In case we haven't met, my name is Phil Horton, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff here at the church. Um, In case you have met us and didn't miss us over the last couple of weeks, we've been on holidays, (laughs) and Martha and I are glad to be back. Uh, But I can say that we had a thoroughly enjoyable road trip. We did a loop through the southwest corner of our province and rediscovered why, again, they call it beautiful British Columbia. It was pretty amazing. From Vancouver, we went up the Cedar Sky Highway to Whistler, Lillooet, Cache Creek, through to Vernon, and then into the Kootenays, and down through the Kootenays, and through Grand Forks, and Manning Park, and all those amazing places. Altogether, it was uh, uh, just so much beauty at every turn. I have to say, however, there was one moment which uh, was quite remarkable on that journey. We were on the Sea to Sky Highway, and some of you perhaps have driven that road, and of course there's beauty and majesty everywhere you turn and everywhere you look on that road. And as we were going up that road and, and uh, well, let's say for full disclosure, we were on a motorcycle together, and uh, I know that's a shock to some of you, but not to others, but uh, it was a marvelous trip, and as we were riding up the Sea to Sky Highway, just taking in the, the amazing pictures, the amazing views before us at every turn. We had helmet-to-helmet radios so we could talk to each other, and it just came as we turned around one corner that above and beyond all of the beauty that we had seen at that point, there was this scene of glacier and mountain and river that was just outstanding, breathtaking. And both of us in our little helmet radios at the same time said, wow, We have chosen at Central Baptist Church to take a rather small portion of Scripture to hold our attention through this whole summer. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I want to suggest to you that just like that scene that we saw in the midst of all this other amazing beauty caught our attention and was a wow moment, I want to suggest to you that this text of Scripture, in the context of the beauty of so much of the truth of the Word of God and this beautiful story that is the story of Jesus, this text stands out as a wow moment in Scripture, and many commentators have noticed that. It's a text, it's a text which is full of truth that is practical. It's a text which brings strong encouragement. It's a text which brings some amazing claims. And it's my prayer that as we engage this text through this summer, that we will really engage this text and that we will be encouraged because it's a text which leads us to think deeper in our understanding about what fullness of life looks like 
what does fullness of life look like? It provokes us to think deeply about what's really important in life and how we can take steps towards engaging life fully and with enthusiasm. Well, on that note, I will invite you to stand once more as Michelle Curry comes and she's going to read the scripture for us, which is that text. You can follow along and uh, just do stand as we read the scripture together. Good morning, everyone. It's my privilege to read scripture with you this morning. So feel free to turn to 2 Peter verse, or chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. You can read along with me in your Bibles, on the sermon notes, or on the screen behind me. Let's read. His divine power has everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We live in a world that so often is full of discouragement and bad news. By whatever means you perhaps read or hear the news these days, we hear often of political upheaval, of unrest, of scandals, of war, of sad decline of social values, of selfishness, of things that we have no control over, forest fires, floods, tornadoes, the list goes on. Life in such a world can be very challenging, discouraging. For some of us, of course, these challenges and discouragements are more intimate and personal. Perhaps, perhaps we've suffered the loss of a loved one. Perhaps there's been a bad health diagnosis for ourselves or for one of our loved ones. Perhaps we're in a situation of personal conflict. Perhaps there's loneliness. Perhaps there's financial struggles. Perhaps there's persistent unwanted sin or addictions. The words that we've just heard and that we have the privilege to read together through this summer come from a man by the name of Peter, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is now an old man as he's writing these words. And he, Apostle Peter was someone through his life who was no stranger to struggle, to difficulty, to personal failure. Peter was also no, no stranger to faith and hope and love. 
And the text that he's writing here that we're paying attention to this summer is, is referred to by some commentators as Peter's last will and testament. These are the last words, these are the words that he is urgently passing along to us because he realizes that his time on earth is going to be short. And so he's urgently passing along to us his message of hope and encouragement. I can't think as I think about Peter as an old man and I think through the story of his life and all the things he experienced and what he's writing here, I can't help think, but there are perhaps some words of Jesus that are rolling around in his mind as he's writing this text. And I want to even suggest that it's possible that these words of Jesus may be kind of foundational for Peter's expression of truth in these verses. Perhaps you remember the story that the Apostle John records. John was one of those other companions of Jesus on earth. And as John writes his gospel account of the life of Jesus, he's talking in John chapter 10 about the time when Jesus was, was talking about how I'm the good shepherd. And I care for my sheep. I love my sheep. They know me. They hear my voice. And in that context, Jesus makes this quite amazing statement. He says, the thief, John 10, verse 10, perhaps you know it, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. The thief. There's so many thieves in this world, aren't they, who come to rob us of life, to steal, steal kill, destroy. But here's what Jesus says. This is why I came. I have come, that they, my sheep, might have life, not just life, but have it to the full. I just wonder if those aren't words that are rolling around in Peter's mind as he's writing this text, knowing that this fullness of life is what Jesus wants for every one of us. Peter opens his testament with this surprising statement. This is a statement that You've learned a little bit over the last uh, couple of weeks. I've been watching you online, so say after me. His divine power, say after me. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Say it with me this time. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. What an amazing statement. Well, that's the first part of verse three. I would like to add the second part just to make the memory challenge a little bit more difficult. Please read these words on the screen with me, all right? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Did you get that? Let's go to one more slide and say it again. Oh, there's some words missing. <laughs> his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Over the past two weeks, Pastor Scott has been helping us to pay attention to the passage as a whole, and last week he dipped more into these amazing promises that are in verses three and four. Today, we turn a corner as we come to verse five. As we come to verse five in this text, Peter, after making these astounding claims in verses three and four, turns and says to us, perhaps again surprisingly, for this very reason, add, make every effort, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And so he goes on to list seven qualities. Seven qualities to which we should and we will pay careful attention over the coming weeks. Listen carefully to these virtues, these qualities. Sometimes they're called graces. Listen carefully to them, okay? Today we're going to talk about goodness. And to goodness add knowledge. And to knowledge add self-control. And to self-control add perseverance. And to perseverance add godly godliness. And to godliness add mutual affection, brotherly love. And then capping it all off like a, an enveloping everything is love. It's an astounding list. And we want to look at them one by one. Today our task is to explore the notion of goodness, and just before we do that, I'd like to address a question that comes up as we read this text. I just wonder if you noticed what could be seen as an apparent contradiction. So I wanna ask this question. What is the relationship between the gift in verse three and the effort in verse five? Did you notice that? Verse three told us, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. It sounds like a gift, we just receive it, right? So what's the relationship between this gift and now he's turning around and he's telling us, therefore make every effort yourselves to add. Honestly, there is a tension between these two statements. And I believe it's a tension we should not too easily dismiss or try to explain away too quickly, but rather seek God's help in holding these ideas in, in healthy tension in which they're given to us, realizing that God's ways are higher than our ways. In this context, let me, let me try to use an illustration to try to illustrate this, uh, this idea and to guide our thoughts. Here's the illustration, all right? Imagine, okay, I'm inviting you to use your imagination here. Imagine that my wife, Martha, has just received, inherited a very large sum of money from a rich aunt. You have to imagine that because the truth is that all of our aunts have already passed away and none of them did that. <laughs> so we're using our imaginations here. But it's a huge amount of money, let's say, for example, right? Martha knows that I like motorcycles. And so she chooses, out of her great love for me, right, honey? <laughs> Which is not imagined, but real. But she chooses, 
out of her great love for me to buy me the most expensive motorcycle money can buy. What should I do? A gift of inestimable proportion. Listen very carefully to this question because it forms the heart of this illustration, okay? Here's the question, what should I do or how should I be a good steward of this gift that Martha has given me at great cost to herself? How should I be a good steward of this gift? Let's think through some possibilities. Should I rent a storage locker somewhere and lock that thing in there and, and never let it see the light of day lest it get damaged and I'll go once in a while and polish it? Is that being a good steward of the gift that Martha's given me? On the other side, it's just brand new out of the factory. Should I take it up on those very straight roads up by Couch and Valley there, and should I drive that thing to its extreme limit at great danger to myself and the motorcycle? Is that being a good steward? And let's say I used to have, my first motorcycle was a Yamaha 175 and zero. I used to like on-road, off-road. And I used to like those trails, you know, you go up the mountain as far as you can on your little motorbike. Should I do that with that bike? Is that being a good steward of a street bike? No. So how should I be a good steward? How can I show, show Martha that I value this gift that she has given me? Well, I'll, I'll use it, right? I'll ride it. I'll enjoy it because that's why she's given it to me, even at the risk of damaging it. I'll seek to care for it, keep it clean, and use it within the safe boundaries for which this particular motorcycle was manufactured, right? That makes sense of being a good steward of the gift that I've been given. I believe Peter's saying to us, you, my friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a gift of inestimable proportion. His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life. And now he's turning to us and he's saying, for this very reason, for this very reason, make every effort to be a good steward of the gift that you have received from God by paying attention to these character qualities in your life. And so Peter begins his list. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. What is goodness? I wanna just ask two questions to help us explore the idea. First of all, I wanna ask what is it? What is goodness? And the second question is how do we get it? What does Peter say to us? First of all then, the question, what is it? Peter uses a word here for goodness, a Greek word that is not the most commonly Greek word used for goodness in the context of the New Testament. I don't want to pretend to be a Greek specialist because I'm not, but in the reading and research that I've done, I've discovered some synonyms that may help us to understand the main emphasis emphases of, in Peter's mind as he chooses this particular word. So here's some synonyms, <laughs> synonyms for us to think about. First one is valor. What is valor? 
Valor is kind of an older English word. In fact, in, in the older English, sometimes it would be translated manliness. It seems to me the idea of valor is the idea of using strength for the good of others, right? It's the opposite of using strength to crush others or take advantage of others. It's the idea of using the strength that you have for the benefit of people around you. That seems to be the idea of valor, standing up for the right things, making the right choices, putting the needs of others ahead of your own. Another synonym is excellence. Some translations use the term moral excellence to translate this word in other contexts. Praise is another, another synonym, and I think it has to do with the idea of doing what is praiseworthy. Goodness is that which is worthy of praise. Virtue. Virtue is a, a way in which, for example, the English Standard Version and other translations will translate this word goodness, and it's really, if you look up the definition of virtue, it's the idea of behavior of a high moral standard. In the message translation of the New Testament, Eugene Peterson, excuse me, Eugene Peterson uh, kind of caps, encapsulates all of these words and uses the term good character which seems to, seems to help us. Perhaps we can summarize these ideas that are found in these cluster of words, is that Peter's using this particular Greek word to call our attention to the urgent need for us to live out our faith by putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves. And also by making the very best possible moral choices in every situation that we find ourselves. We could per perhaps further clarify our thinking by describing the opposite of this word as being someone who is self-focused, self-centered, selfish. A person who makes choices not on what is right or best, but rather on what is expedient or convenient or good for them. This word, by the way, that Peter uses here is also used to describe God's goodness, and we've already seen that. Look again at verse three, which we've just read together. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and what? It's glory and goodness, same word. So it's an attribute of God, this goodness. Peter also uses it uh, about God in, in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, says this, you, uh, speaking to the followers of Jesus, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Listen carefully so that you may declare the praises, that's the words, you may declare the goodnesses, you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this goodness is an attribute of God. So what is Peter calling us to do here? What is this goodness? Quite simply, we might say, Peter is calling us to make every effort to be God-like in our goodness. Okay, if that's what it is, how do we get it? Our second question. I want you to listen carefully to what Peter says and the words that he uses because it's very easy to misunderstand what he's saying here. I want you to, first of all, listen carefully to what Peter does not say. Right? Are you with me? Peter does not say, make every effort to be a good person. 
right? He doesn't say that. In the flow of the text, he's saying something very different. He's saying, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. This is a very different command. What is faith? Well, faith, as we learned last week as Scott was leading us through verses three and four, faith is this amazing gift from God. It's by faith that we are saved. It's by faith that we are, we are brought into a fully restored relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, who also writes about this very much, makes this so clear in a very well-known passage, Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine, where Paul writes these words, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so we receive, by faith, a gift of an inestimable value restored relationship with the God who made us, forgiveness for all of our sin, the hope of eternal life, and it's all because of what Jesus did, not because of what I do or don't do. We did nothing to earn it. We can only receive it as a gift. But what Peter is doing in this text that we're looking at this summer is he's calling us then to be good stewards of this gift that we have by making every effort to ensure that this new life that we have received by faith, that it grows and fundamentally changes the kind of people that we are. If you have truly received the gift of salvation, our lives should be transformed. We should become different people than we were before we should become increasingly more and more like Jesus. This is what is at the heart of the gospel idea of receiving salvation. Scott and I, as we've talked about this over the past few weeks preparing for this summer series, we're trying to wrestle with the best language to use when, when describing this seeming tension between God's gift to us and our efforts, because we can easily get it out of focus or get the perspective wrong on it. We came together with an idea of using an, some agricultural terminology and that's not unique to us. I think others have used it also. But I think it's a helpful uh, picture. In particular, what, we, I, what I want us to ask you to focus on right now is the, the word cultivate. All right, have a look at this picture on the screen. What's this guy doing? He's cultivating what I think are potatoes. So let's think about this process of cultivating. How is he cultivating the potatoes? What's he doing? What's he not doing? Maybe that's the question to ask. If you cultivate potatoes, should he be like massaging the leaves of the plants to help them to grow? Should he be rustling around in the dirt and finding those little potatoes as they're growing and rubbing them and helping them to grow? That's not what cultivating is, is it? What do we do when we cultivate? Cultivating has little to do with actually touching the plant that you're cultivating. What does it have to do with? It has to do with the environment in which it's rooted, right? I wanna suggest there's two things that are necessary um, I need to confess, I'm really not a gardener at all. But 
what I understand from my wife, who is a good gardener, is that there's two things you really need to do when you're cultivating. One is to pull weeds, right? Weeds can choke out the plants. And the other is to make the soil healthy, right? Nutrients, water, whatever is needed. I believe this text is calling us to cultivate goodness in our lives. And let me suggest three points here as we, as we will go through them fairly quickly here. I wanna suggest this text invites us to cultivate goodness, first of all, in the soil of faith. Then secondly, to cultivate goodness within the framework of the whole passage, and we'll look at those words in a moment. But also cultivate goodness through intentional worship and meditation and imitation. Okay, let's just work through each of those points at one time. First of all, cultivate goodness in the soil of faith. I'll be brief here because we've already talked about this. If you separate trying to be good from the foundation of faith, it won't work. We cannot become good by trying to become good. We are fallen people, we are broken people, we will fail. Human effort is not sufficient. It must be rooted in this free gift that we receive from Jesus. It's worth reminding ourselves at this point that of all the religions in the world, Christian faith is the only one where we receive the total package. Salvation, restoration, forgiveness for sin, eternal life, restored relationship with God. We receive all of that without human achievement. We receive all of it as a gift. We receive it because Jesus did the work. And Jesus paid for it and offers it to us as a gift. We receive it by grace through faith. And so the effort here that Peter is calling us to is not an effort to achieve salvation, but an effort to live fully into the gift that we have received, an effort to be a good steward of the gift that we have received, the gift of life. It always must be rooted in the fact that we have received salvation by faith in Jesus. Let me pause just for a moment. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never received this gift yourself, this gift of eternal life, forgiveness, becoming a child of God. I just wanna remind you this morning that this is the message of the Bible. This is why Jesus came and this gift is available to you. And if you haven't yet received it, we would love to help you. We'd love to have conversation with you, love to have a coffee with you just to talk about the gift that is the greatest gift in the history of the world. It's free, it's available for those who will believe and receive the story of Jesus. So cultivate goodness in the soil of faith. Secondly, let me put these words on the screen, cultivate goodness within the framework, within the framework of grace, promise, power, and kingdom. Let me explain. The words, these words help to keep, remind us that there's a framework around this language of make every effort. Make every effort's kind of in the middle of this text that we're looking at, but there's a framework around it that is a framework of grace and promise and power and kingdom. 
biblical scholar N.T. Wright, it's, it's really his words that helped me to see this, and so let me just put some of his words on the screen. It's very careful, it's very important for us to pay attention to this. Whatever we do by way of obedience and allegiance to God, right, whatever we do, whatever our efforts might be, in terms of obedience and allegiance to God and the gospel, it all takes place within the grace of God, by the means of the promise of God, through the power of God, and leading to the kingdom of God, right? That's the framework around this whole text. And right in the middle of it, we have this make every effort. If we take the make every effort out of this framework, we're gonna get it all wrong. And so, it's a, another reminder yet that our efforts are not in some way an, an effort to achieve favor with God or achieve some kind of self-made morality. No, all of that is a gift from God. However, Scripture is full of language that also includes our effort and intentionality to take that gift we've been given and to live it out. And so Paul often uses the put off language and put on language, right? Like clothing, you put off what is, what is wrong and you put on what is right. And here in this text, it's make every effort to add to your faith things like goodness. Well, what does it look like when it comes to goodness? Thirdly then, cultivate goodness. I wanna suggest these three phrases, intentional worship, intentional meditation, intentional imitation. It's very different from just trying hard to be a better person. I always suggest it starts with worship, and I've appreciated our worship this morning. There are no doubt other words that could be used in this context, and I'm very open to have further conversation with you about it, but here's, these, these are the, the thoughts that I've had to begin with. Intentional worship. What is intentional worship? Let me just read to you these words from Psalm 100 where the psalmist calls out to us and he says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. For the Lord is what? The Lord is good. His faithfulness endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. This is where we need to start. In order to enrich the soil of our faith so that goodness can flourish and grow, we need to be renewed in our vision of the majesty of God and of his goodness and of his love. So we spend time searching the scriptures. We spend time in in worship on our own. We spend time in worship together. We spend time in worship with our families. But most of all, worship be a worshiper. Secondly, intentional meditation. Again, let me take you to Psalm 1. It's an amazing psalm that begins the whole series of psalms in the, in the Bible. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, right? So there's a, there's a, one, there's a choice here. Blessed is the one who makes the choice not to be in that company, but whose delight rather is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So like 2 Peter 1, this passage promises fruitfulness, flourishing as we meditate and worship on God's good law. Thirdly then, intentional imitation. Let me take you to a short verse in Psalm 119. The psalmist here simply says, 
talking to God, he says, you are good and what you do is good. And here's the request from the psalmist. Let this be our request. Teach us, teach me your decrees. Let me grow in your goodness. Richard Foster is a well-known writer and theologian who's thought much about this whole idea of spiritual formation and spiritual practices, which I think will help us to grow in goodness. I was challenged by reading this quote from him, and so I'll share it with you today. He suggests, as he looks in our world today, we today lack a theology of growth. And so we need to learn how we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the, the way Peter ends his book of Second Peter. In particular, we need to learn to cooperate with the means of grace that God has ordained for transformation of the human personality. Our participation in these God-ordained means or practices or habits will enable us to increasingly take ourselves into Christ's character, or take into ourselves, rather, Christ's character and manner of life. And so we become more like Jesus as we seek to imitate him, worship him. So let me ask you, as we come to a close, do you have an, a theology of growth in your life? Specifically, are, are you intentionally, are we intentionally pursuing goodness, uh, cultivating our faith so that it's goodness that grows up? Please stand with me and I'm gonna invite the music team to come as, as we stand together. And just as we stand together, think back with me to the picture of the man cultivating potatoes. Remember the two actions that we suggested were at the heart of cultivation. The one is removing weeds. So can we take a moment of quiet just in this moment to consider our lives, consider our habits, consider our ways of relating to people. What are the, the weeds in our lives that may be stunting the growth of goodness in our lives? Maybe selfishness, anger, Whatever it might be, what are those weeds? Ask Jesus to identify those things to you now. And can we bring those things to Jesus in confession and surrender them to him? Then we, we not only take out the weeds, we pay attention to how we enrich the soil of our faith. And so we ask, what does the rich daily rhythm of life look like? Does it include time for intentional worship, intentional meditation, intentional imitation of Jesus? Peter says this in his first letter, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with goodness, I wanna say. He says, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Our world is in desperate need of goodness. May we be those who cultivate goodness in our faith and let it grow to the honor of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.